Happy Thursday, everybody. Excited about today's interview with Charles Stone. I think you're going to love it. Also, I want to let you know that today's episode is brought to us by our good friends over at Enjoy Stewardship Solutions. They were founded in 1992 by number one leadership expert, Dr. John C. Maxwell. This organization helps churches like yours craft customized church capital campaigns to fund new facilities, upfit existing facilities, buy lands, go multi-site, pay off debt, and so much more. Uh, More than 4,500 churches have raised a whopping $4.5 billion, billion, that's with a B, to fund uh, their God-given vision. They have become fully funded because of their interaction with Enjoy Stewardship Solutions. If your church is even on the early end of a new project, a major project, make sure that you have a conversation with Enjoy Stewardship today. In fact, you can find out how much your church could raise in a capital campaign led by Enjoy Stewardship Solutions right now by visiting enjoystewardship.com forward slash rich. That's a great tool. You enter some information there. It'll tell you how much you could raise uh, by using them as opposed to going on your own. Listen, friends, do not do this on your own. Uh, It is a great opportunity for you to raise the resources that you need to fulfill the vision that God's given you. Again, enjoyedstewardship.com forward slash rich. All right, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. Are you looking for practical ministry help to drive your ministry further, faster? Have a sinking feeling that your ministry training didn't prepare you for the real world? Hey, you're not alone. Join thousands of others in pursuit of stuff that we wish they had taught in seminary. Buckle up and let's get started with this week's Unseminary Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. So glad that you decided to tune in today. Excited for today's podcast interview. We don't have a lot of repeat guests on the show, but today's guest is one of those guests that I say to him, hey, if you if you want to come on, just let me know because I think he's got so much value to offer to you as a church leader. And so I want you to lean in. Today we've got Charles Stone with us. He is an incredible leader. He's been on a few episodes in the past. He's a uh, full-time pastor. He's an amazing guy at a church called West Park here in London, Ontario, Canada, which is about an hour from where I grew up. So it's kind of, I got a special place in my heart for London, Ontario. Uh, super excited to have you on the show today, Charles. Welcome. Great to be with you, Rich. Why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, about West Park and a bit of your background, a bit of the the Charles story? You bet. You bet. Well, I've spent 33 years in the States and been here in Canada for a little over six years. Uh, Three grown kids, uh, three grandkids. And where I'm serving in London is a very unique church. We We truly are multicultural. We have four different language groups meeting at the same time on Sunday. English, I'm, I'm head, lead pastor of the whole thing. English and Arabic and Spanish and Mandarin. We share the kids' ministry. So it's a very, very unique church and probably 50 different uh, countries represented in our in our church. So it's really fun and really fun trying to put a bulletin together in four languages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's the only challenge, right? It's no, just the that's bulletin. That's the only one. <laughs> You could, if you could figure that out, man, it'd be amazing. You yeah, know? yeah. So it's really that's incredible being here. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. I know, uh, particularly for um, you know most of the people that are listening in are American church leaders, and um, which is fantastic. And uh, one of the things I've often said when I end up talking with um, leaders. Uh, you know, all across the states is, hey, you know, every county in America is more multicultural today than it was 10 years ago, and it will become more multicultural 10 years from now than it is is today. 
And, you know, how can we learn and grow as church leaders and really look to, to churches like yours to understand, hey, what does that look like? Because unfortunately, a lot of churches I visit, they're they're pretty monoculture. And yep. so I yep. uh, love that. I think, again, this would be a great church, westpark.ca, be the church to follow if you want to follow along to kind of see one church that's doing it. But I, I was telling Charles before we kind of line this thing up, I had a, a kind of a funny interaction around him and around uh, actually something he wrote uh, where kind of about probably about a month ago, I was talking to a young leader. Uh, and uh, this this leader is launching off into his first ministry position. So literally just finished up Bible school, finished up seminary, and is like stepping out into uh, the world and they reached out to me, he's a good friend of mine. And he said, hey, like, what should I read? What, what you know, how, what would you, your advice be? And so we talked about a, a number of things, but then he, he really pressed me on the book thing. He said, no, I, I really want something to read. What would you, what would you read? And I, and I said, well, you know, my friend of mine, Charles Stone, just wrote a book uh, that I think you should, should read. And because I think it'd be super helpful for you. I got sent a copy of it and found it really helpful. It's called Every Pastor's First 180 Days, How to Start and Stay Strong in a New Church Job. And so I wanted to get you on and actually talk this through a little bit, because I think that this is an, an important kind of phase. Why do you think that these kind of first 180 days, whether it's in a new church like that young individual, or maybe even starting a new role, why why are those first few months so, so important uh, for us as leaders? Yeah, well, it's a great question. And actually, uh, I'll tell you a pre-story that kind of sets up uh, the the answer I'll give you. Uh, I came to Canada six and a half years ago and immediately faced some incredible challenges. Uh, the church is $100,000 in the hole. I don't mean behind budget. In the hole, they were borrowing oh my to take care of expenses. They just wow. fired and rehired a staff person. There were worship wars. There were staff vacancies. They had a few systems. The second Sunday I was there, we had a huge snowstorm, had to cancel church, which, you know, thinking <laughs> finances like you never make it up. And oh, no gosh, pressure yes. on me, 100% a vote to, to call me. So that's what I faced. And going to seminary, I got a couple of seminary degrees. They never taught us, what do you do when you come uh, to church? <laughs> Yes, yeah. yes. Preach the word of God, share the gospel, and visit people. But it's not that simple. Well, facing all these challenges, I knew I had to get this right at the beginning. So I began reading as many books as I could find on onboarding, secular books. Onboarding is basically what do you do when you start a new job? I compiled those insights, I put in a plan, and God has blessed over these past several years. And that kind of led to the writing of this book. So, to answer your question, why is it so important? In one study of 1,300 senior HR leaders, 75% said success or failure during the first few months is a strong predictor of overall success or failure in the mm. job. Now, so an good. even more shocking statistic of 20,000, this is the secular world, but I think there's learnings here, mm-hmm. 20,000 uh, significant leaders uh, were studied. And they found that 40%, Rich, 40% of new hires at a senior level were either pushed out, failed, or quit within 18 months. A oh, my 40% goodness, wow. failure rate. Now, uh, we don't have statistics that uh, granular for pastors, but over 50% of us say the role of a pastor is frequently overwhelming. 50% of us say they feel the demands of ministry are more than they can handle. So I wrote the book to be able to encourage pastors um, that, hey, here's some things you can do that I think mm-hmm. will make a profound difference in the success. And, and I don't mean success like in a secular sense, but real fulfillment and success. So that's kind of the story yeah, behind it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I know. So I've just because of my ministry trajectory, you know, I've ended up, um, have hired a lot of people, uh, unfortunately have done the opposite of hiring people over the years. And, uh, a part of what resonates with me, um, in this book is that really the importance of these first few months. And although, like you say, those are, um, you know, like, you know, secular statistics because we don't have, you know, really good active statistics within the church world, I would say that intuitively works out right. It's almost like, you know, within the first couple months, is this going to work out? Is this person going to, um, you know, the way I would say it internally in the places I've been in, I would say like they won the first act or, you know, they, they, they batted well in the first inning, like, man, things just went really well, uh, in these first months, this first, uh, you know, 60 days. Now I've heard, I can play a little bit of devil's advocate here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've heard kind of two schools of thought. And I don't think either of them are probably right, but I've heard this kind of popular notion floating out there that, um, hey, when you're a church leader and you start, you either A, need to go in and change everything. Like just you've got the, while the honeymoon is on, blow everything up and start over or B, uh, in that, you know, those that beginning stages in the honeymoon, do not change anything. You know, don't like don't even, you know, hang the coat where the last guy hung his coat because you don't want to, you know, upset any anybody. And it's interesting. Those those do seem to be prevailing kind of myths out there. What would you say to a church leader that came to you and said, hey, like, what should I be thinking about uh, when I'm thinking about the beginning days when it comes to change and the way I engage with the people around me? Yeah, I think you described the two bookends, the two extremes. If If the ship is burning, yes, you've got to make major changes. On the other end, if the church or the new ministry is going pretty well and you do nothing, that's on the other end of the spectrum. So I think one of the wise things a pastor must do is to gauge and to understand where in the life cycle of this church is that church. What are the pressing needs? And oftentimes we go into a church and we don't really intentionally ask those kinds of questions. Mm-hmm. I forgot who originally said this, but the first job of a leader is to define reality. So if you go in with presuppositions and you've not defined reality, you may make some, some really bad mistakes by blowing it up, changing everything, or by not you know, doing anything. So right. it's wisdom and intentionality just define reality, and that's going to tell you a lot about what you need to do or don't need to do. Hmm. What would be some of those best practices to try to define reality, to kind of understand where things are at as a church? Yeah. Well, what I did was, I uh, because we're uh, um, we learn with acronyms. I like using acronyms. It's, a, it's yes. a kind of a neuroscience learning technique where you can get more punch in a small little space. So I used a couple of acronyms, PLAN and SADDLE. And in each one of these letters in these two, two words represent one particular aspect or one particular best practice that we can use when we go into a new place. And by the way, Rich, this, uh, I think that the content of the book is not just for the guy, gal going into a brand new place, but very mm-hmm. well is applicable. Someone, I need to change the direction of the ship. We have some mm-hmm. significant changes. There's, so, so there's applicability there. So, and we can go as far as you want on these two, uh, uh, two acronyms. Yeah. Why, why don't we start with a couple of them? Why don't we start at the beginning? We can, you know, I don't want to give it all away because frankly, I want people to pick up a copy of this book because I really do think this would be super helpful. Uh, but why don't we start, you know, why don't we start at the beginning? We'll talk through a couple of those, poke around on that, and then, and then, uh, and then we can see how far we get. Sure. Okay. Well, POM stands for really three, uh, or four concepts rather, prioritize self and family care. That's P, A is avidly communicated. L, listen and learn, and M stands for manage change wisely. And I'll, I'll zero in on listen and learn. 
Mm -hmm. I think one of the most important things and skills we as leaders need to develop is the ability to listen well. Uh, And, you know, the way our brains are made, when we're listening to people talking to us, oftentimes we're framing our response. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. there's a micro skill of really being able to to be fully present to somebody else and really listen. But I Mm -hmm. found one of the most important things I did was I intentionally, I wanted to create the narrative of what people thought about me. Now, people may say, that's not very spiritual, Charles. Well, the reality is people (laughs) are going to. You go into a new place, they're going to create a story about you. They're going to create a narrative about you. And the question I ask myself is, what is the narrative, uh, part of the narrative, I want people to craft about me? And one of those was that I really listened to people, even if Mm -hmm. they had different perspectives, even if it was, you know, they were griping about things. So I went in and I applied that at the board level. I applied that at the staff level. I applied that at some of the uh, the naysayers. And actually, mm-hmm. I had a couple of people tell me, uh, you know, maybe a couple of months in, say, Charles, people really believe you're willing to listen. So mm-hmm. uh, that's perhaps one of the most important things. And not only do you help craft that narrative, but you also, you'll, you define reality by listening mm-hmm. well. So that's, mm-hmm. that's a key in this whole listening and learning piece. Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about that. So uh, in those early days, uh, so first of all, I'd love to hear kind of what did that practically look like for, you know, kind of listening? What kind of regimes were you doing one-on-ones, you know, small groups, that kind of thing? And then second, um, I'm sure there, you know, there's always this issue when you first start out where you're trying to figure out the landscape and even understanding who, as you flag, like kind of the, maybe some of the negative folks, it's hard to even understand who those people are <laughs> early on. Right, right. And so how did you exercise discernment in that listening process? And what did that look like as you were out listening to people? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I knew that there was a definable group, the board, there was a definable mm-hmm. group uh, that, w- that was our staff. There was also another undefined group that we would call the stakeholders. So what I did was I, I polled the, the board, I polled the staff and said, who were the stakeholders in the church? And I created mm-hmm. a list of like 40 or 50 stakeholders. Mm-hmm. And what I did was I crafted questions and the questions were basically, what do you think is going well? What is not going well? If you were in my shoes, what would you uh, suggest to me? And like, how, how can I pray for you? And I set appointments. I made appointments with people, uh, scores of people, and I asked those same questions. Now, the beauty of asking those same questions is you'll see a trend. There's always going to be an outlier. There, are, there always will be outliers that are really, really, really negative or outliers that are super, super, super positive. They don't see reality. But by asking those, you know, they're there. <laughs> you love yes, to hear that, but they're not, they don't give you the accurate information sometimes. Yes. <laughs> so by asking that same set of questions, and there's nothing magical about the questions, but asking the same set of questions to a wide variety of people, you can create these averages and kind of um, uh, it gives you a, a more accurate reading of what reality is. So that was one practical thing I did. Another thing I did was I uh, uh, we had a lot of staff holes and we're, we're having one staff person was was about to, to leave go somewhere else but I had yep. had this guy lead uh, our staff meeting and mm. uh, I stepped out and I said guys I want you to because I my, my being there would skew their answers because we hadn't had enough time to build trust and right. so right. he basically used a whiteboard and answered questions like. What do we expect of you, Charles? 
What can you expect mm-hmm. of us? Here are the burning issues you will uh, you will face, and here's how you can pray for us. So he basically, with me not there, created those uh, those answers. I pulled those together, and that gave me a really accurate snapshot of where the staff was. Mm-hmm. So those are a couple mm-hmm. of kind of sets of questions and kinds of people to ask those questions to that will, I think, uh, enhance this whole learning, uh, listening and learning. Hmm, very cool. Part of what you say in the palm phase is this idea of kind of over communication, getting out there, mm-hmm. avidly communicate. Mm-hmm. Um, what are which I think is so critical. I, I think I've seen this with with team members where, in general, but particularly in these early days, where there's like this internal question around, like, what is that person doing? <laughs> Like, yeah. how are they spending their time? Yeah. What are they learning? What are their priorities? Uh, and so I find a big part of management is just even trying to understand that because a part of what we do in the church world is fairly self-directed. And so what would be some best practices, particularly in these early days around kind of over-communication or communication? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think there's some questions that we all need to, uh, the new person needs to ask himself or herself. Who needs to know what? Why do they need to know it? What do they need to know? When do they need to know it, and how can I help them know it? And there, are, because there are different groups of people, not everybody needs to hear the same stuff. So I mm-hmm. intentionally determine who are the groups of people that need to hear from me. And it's pretty simple. The board needs to hear from me. The staff needs to hear from me. The church needs to hear from me. The volunteers need to hear from me. So those four basic groups. And I actually developed a system to communicate at different levels. I uh, initiated from our staff. We would each uh, share our, like our big three for the week. And our staff mm-hmm. meeting, we put that together. We sent that to the board so they knew what the, the big things we were working on. Also did something that people really loved. It's called Where's Waldo, uh, a.k.a. Where's Charles? And the bulletin, <laughs> people love this. In the bulletin, every Sunday, I put two sentences, kind of what I did the previous week. You know, like 20 meetings or 10 meetings, worked on this sermon, had a great leadership meeting. And I've had people tell me when I was like, you know, vacation, when it was not in there, they said, well, where was, where was your, where was Waldo? So mm. that was kind of a global communication to the church. And it gave them a sense of, I, I kind of know this guy. And sometimes I'll put something kind of, kind of personal in it. Like, Hey, I ate the, ate the buffet, the Chinese buffet and ate too much. So that group got that information. Plus two times a year, we built this into our routine. Now we communicate to the whole church more in detail, how we progressing, on our goals because we communicate yeah. at the beginning of the year, six months in, and at the end of the year, we give a report, how do we do? And then we actually follow that with kind of a, a, a overall annual short snapshot that we include when we give our giving records out. So it shows people, okay, my money is going here. Yeah, this is what happened. Yeah. Interesting. Right. Now, so um, on the Where's Waldo piece, love that. That uh, How big was the church when you started? And do you still practice that today? Because that I don't think I've ever heard any pastor do that. Um, that's a fascinating kind of transparency piece. Yeah, I started um, maybe in the first month, and I still do it. Every single week. Wow. My admin person says, where's Waldo? And I, I type it in. People just love it. <laughs> That's fascinating. That is so cool. I love that. And I love that idea of, yeah, easy to do. I love the idea of transparency and Hey, like, Hey, this is, you know, this is where I'm investing my time. Um, and so people get a sense, you know, of that. That's really cool. I love that. What what do Um, pastors do? Play golf and just speak on Sunday. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and social media has helped that in some ways, but actually in some ways has hurt that because the only stuff we post is golfing or whatever you do for fun. Um, and so, oh, wow, that's fascinating. I, I love that idea. How could you translate that, um, you know, maybe some of those those principles to say a staff, maybe it's a, like I say, a youth pastor or a um, maybe an, a, a children's ministry worker who is, uh, you know, new in church? What would be kind of, what could over communication look like for them? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think there's probably multiple levels. There's kind of the this, this stuff that the whole church gets. And if a person pays attention to the bulletin or pays attention to our e-news that we send, they'll get that. But the reality is people, after a period of time, they're not paying great attention to the bulletin. They're not paying great attention to the emails that come. So I think each staff person needs to narrow it down to his or her. Here are the key people in my circle. Here are the key people that, people that I really count on. And the more... Those that kind of inner circle is let in on key things that are going to happen, the more they buy in. One of the things we have a couple times a year is a leadership rally and we celebrate and we cast a vision. And what I do with this key group of leaders is we share with them some things that the church has not heard yet so that they Mm. feel like they're insiders. So I think that the question perhaps a, a leader should ask himself herself is, okay, who are my insiders? And how am I consistently communicating to them so that they don't find out in the bulletin what what's happening, say, in the youth ministry, rather they hear mm-hmm. from me first, then the whole church hears about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I know for me, uh, one of the things I've said to staff uh, who, uh, you know, have worked for me is I've said, listen, I don't really like surprises. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I'm not the kind of person that's like, hey, I, I don't want to find out about something, you know, a major initiative that's happening in your area publicly. Like, just, you know, loop me in, make me aware so that I can be a cheerleader and be a fan uh, for you. Let's pivot and kind of talk about the personal side. So I think there can be a tendency in these early days um, again, painting probably false dichotomies. One is the like overworking, like I'm going to throw myself in and I'm going to work 80 hours right from the beginning. The problem with that is you set a pace and that's, that's, it's very hard to get out of that. Or the other side, maybe there's someone who's like, they've been kind of burned in their last location. And so they, they ease into this new location and you know, they're, they're leaving at three 30 every afternoon, arriving after 1130, you know, maybe taking a little bit too much time. What advice would you give to us when it comes to this idea of kind of prioritizing my family, myself in this early transition? Mm-hmm. Well, if someone's going to a new a new role, you know, different location, different different state, different province, I think it's important to start before day one. Your first day on the job is not when you walk in the office. Mm, Ideally, you can give some a little more space than you think you need. Uh, obviously, finances play a role. Let's say if you leave this w- one church and you have a week to travel and get moved in, then you have a week. Add another week or two if you can financially afford that. So that you have time to settle in. You have time for the adrenaline to dial down a little bit. So I think that's one thing. Um, I think secondly is having honest conversations with your family. That the first few months are going to be more intense. Setting up realistic expectations. And uh, because you can't, well, I'm coming in at nine and I'm, I'm leaving at five. I just wonder everybody know I'm leaving at five. You don't want to do that the first few weeks. Obviously, you don't want to work 80 hours a week. Now, I didn't do real well on that. I think I allowed myself to work too many hours. But I think Mm. it's important to communicate to your family, communicate to your board, and hold yourself accountable. Have somebody else hold yourself accountable to really take in some sort of a Sabbath, whether it's Friday, whatever whatever day of of the week it is. 
recognizing it is going to be more difficult. You are still setting up routines. It's you, mm. you, your body is going to feel more stress. New place, mm. new move. It always will increase stress. So some of the, mm-hmm. those two or three things I think can help because you don't want to be burned out by month six and say, hey, I need two months off because I'm burned out. You don't right. want to do that. No, absolutely. That's cool. You know, I know one of the things, a uh, bit of a best practice where I found it really helpful when I hire staff is particularly those first few weeks when I bring team members on. I go out of my way to do as much definition for them in how we would want them to spend those first few weeks. So literally their first day, I will schedule out the entire day. Here's exactly how I want you to spend. Here's who you're going to go to lunch with. Here's because well, I don't, there's that anxiety in those early days as a staff member around like, I'm not really exactly sure where to invest my time. And so going out of our way as, as supervisors to help people with that, I, I have found to be super effective and people seem to appreciate that. They appreciate the kind of onboarding. And then I think that's a good wisdom piece and, and maybe speaking to a little bit more, there's a, a wisdom piece there around, Hey, these early days, frankly, you are going to have to invest more. Um, maybe give us Flesh that out a little bit more. Help us understand that. Give us a clearer picture of, um, you know, what that should look like. Um, I like the, the, you know, the idea of, hey, we need to um, really make sure we set those, that expectation with our family. Uh, but what would that look like on the ministry side? What would be some of those things early on that we would have to invest just some extra time into to ensure yeah. we have long-term yeah. success? Well, I think your point about um, helping uh, a new staff person with organizing their time a little bit early on because I'm, I'm, I'm a brain geek. And one of the things about the brain, the brain does not like uncertainty. When there's uncertainty, the stress level rises. So if we as uh, leads can help develop a little more certainty, here's here's what your schedule look like. Here's what you'll need. It actually will dial down the stress level. Now, one of the things I think is a really important to answer your question, question specifically is we need to ask those that we know are influential, hey, who do I need to talk to? Who do I need to spend time with? And I think that would be very, very helpful in those first few days, knowing some of these people who have been the stakeholders in the past, maybe even someone who have not, who've been kind of felt a little pushed aside. If you can show interest uh, and kindness and attention to them, they potentially can become your uh, your champions and your cheerleaders because you'd rather have those mm. than those that oppose. So I think being very, very clear and intentional about who should I invest in, have a coffee with or have lunch with, that kind of thing. Mm, very good. Very good. Love that. Well, this is, I think you've seen as you've been listening in, uh, dear listeners, that this is a super practical book, you know, packed with all kinds of helpful information, both for if you're coming into a new role or as a potential tool to give to someone who maybe is joining your team. I think this could be a great tool to give to them. Um, I think it could be a great tool to give to managers who are overseeing staff to help them understand, hey, what should we be looking for for team members on the front end? If people want to get a copy of this book, I'm assuming they can get it at Amazon. Uh, Is there anywhere else we want to send people to pick up uh, copies of this book. Yeah, Amazon is just the easiest way. Christian Book has it as well. So any of the online retailers have it. And uh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, is there any other place we want to send people to get more information about yes, the yeah. book or any other kind of information pieces out you there can. that we want to get people? Yeah, I blog a couple times a week. Uh, you can go to charlestone.com, two S's, charlestone.com, and a little pop-up will come up if you want to want to follow me. And uh, so, yeah, that's a great place. And I've got, and there's some also, when people get the book, there's a website where you can download 25 free templates and other other goodies that, that help you be able to apply the insight. So that's, that's another little 
little little help there. Very cool. Yeah, that's great. It's packed with all kinds of great resources, and uh, it's a great uh, a great thing. I would encourage people to follow Charles. I think you're you know one of those leaders that I think is offering just really thoughtful, helpful resources and help to church leaders. And so I would encourage people to uh, make sure they do that. Charles, I appreciate you being on the show today. I appreciate you giving us your time. Uh, let me know if there's anything else we can do to help in the future. But thanks so much for being here today. Thanks, Rich. Appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to this week's Unseminary podcast. Don't be shy. We'd love to connect. Check out Un. Seminary Inbox. You can sign up at unseminary.com and we'll send you helpful training resources every week. Plus, you'll gain immediate access to our exclusive members area with tons of resources you can use. Connect with Rich on Twitter at Rich Birch or through email rich at unseminary.com Don't forget to check out the show notes for this episode at unseminary.com It includes links to what we talked about today and more. Leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Did you enjoy today's episode? Drop by iTunes and leave a review. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's Unseminary podcast. Join us next week when we'll learn more stuff we wish they taught in seminary.